0: Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida. It's the History Goes Bump podcast.
1: Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 355th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host Diane, and this is Kelly. Kelly, our location was suggested by listener Lisa Hutemaker, And that is Four Paws Restaurant up in Minnesota. So we're going to Minnesota again. Excellent. I hope you have your parka. (laughs) (laughs) It is probably getting a little bit chilly up there. And I love the name of this restaurant because it has the same name as one of our circus people. This is true. There was Four Paws Circus, if you've listened to the circus miniseries that we did. So I thought that was really cool. Unfortunately, this grand location, which is a gorgeous home and this wonderful restaurant that I'd heard all kinds of good things about is now closed and it actually closed before COVID. But if it hadn't, COVID might have taken it out, too, because it's taken out a lot of them. Sure. Before we get into talking about the history and haunts of this location, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Dustin, Carla with a C, Michael, Tie-Dye and Treasures, Logan and Rebecca.
0: Welcome to the crew, everybody. And wait, wait, w- Mort, what are you doing? Mort, come on. What, he, why is he grabbing the microphone? I just want to say hi to my friend, Jess. Hi, Jess, from your grave digger buddy, Mort.
1: Oh, well, that was very sweet. Thank you for welcoming Jess, Mort. I hope he's listening. And now, this moment naughty.
0: The moment in oddity was suggested by Mike Rogers. King Henry VIII was a pretty despicable guy. He made a sport of executing people who disagreed with him or beheading a wife. So it's not surprising to find out that he had some pretty bizarre headpieces that come off as devilish. One of these headpieces was an armet, which is a helmet that protects the whole skull, including the face. That was given to him by the Holy Roman Emperor Maximilian I in 1514. This has become more widely known as the Horned Helmet and was created by Konrad Susenhofer, one of medieval Europe's most prominent armorers, as part of a complete set of armor. This helmet is bizarre because it has these glasses pinned over eyes that have been formed to include even pupils. There are these spiraling horns, teeth formed in the mouth area, and a really large nose. People had originally wondered if it was made for a court jester because it was so weird and that it was meant for celebrations rather than protection in battle. And it probably was meant more for parades because wearing this thing in battle would have served as a good distraction as it would have made the enemies fall over laughing, rather than striking fear into them. Upon closer inspection of the helmet, one can see that it even has the added details of crow's feet around the eyes and stubble on the chin. Today, the helmet can be seen at the Royal Armouries Museum in Leeds, England. The horned helmet of King Henry VIII certainly is odd. Afraid of a little ghost, are you? And now, this month in history.
1: In the month of October on the 3rd in 1283, the Prince of Wales, David ab Grafid, became the first nobleman in Britain to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. This form of execution would reign for 700 years. David was the son of Gruffid, who had been taken hostage by the English Henry King III and imprisoned in the Tower of London in 1244. He tried to escape by tying bedsheets into a rope and climbing out the window, but the sheet rope broke and he fell to his death. After years of David fighting with his brothers. He became the Prince of Wales in 1282. In 1283, the English squashed the Welsh resistance, and Wales has been part of the United Kingdom ever since. David was sentenced to death. The form of execution was particularly barbaric. David was dragged by a horse to the site of the execution and then hanged by the neck, but not in a way that would snap his neck. He strangled slowly and then was lowered to the ground and tied down. His manhood was removed and he was disemboweled. These were all thrown into a fire. For some people who underwent this kind of death, they were still alive to see their organs being burned up in the fire. The heads were placed on a pike on London Bridge as a warning.
0: Four Paws restaurant was once housed within the beautiful mansion for which it's named. The restaurant shuttered in March of 2019 after the death of its executive chef. Before closing, this was considered one of the most haunted restaurants in Minnesota. There are thought to be at least three spirits in this former home, including the man who had built it. One has to wonder if these ghosts are lonely now. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Four Paws Restaurant.
1: Joseph Librant Fourpaw was born in 1837 in Pennsylvania. He moved to St. Paul, Minnesota in 1858 and got involved with the dry goods business. And really, if I was going to get involved in something back in those times, that would have been it because a lot of these guys got really rich. Sure. He partnered with another man and they called it Fourpaw and Justice. By the time he was 36, Forpa was the senior partner in the Midwest's largest dry goods store. Later, he would open up other businesses and invested in real estate. On October 19, 1862, Fourpaw married Mary Lampfer, and they went on to have five children. During the Civil War, Fourpaw's store provided supplies to the Union troops. In 1870, the Fourpaws would build their first of two mansions in St. Paul.
0: This was a large and audacious Victorian home that spread over five lots in a formerly exclusive neighborhood in the historic downtown area of St. Paul. This neighborhood is known as Irvine Park, which is west of downtown St. Paul. The neighborhood was platted by fur trader Henry Maurer Rice and shipping magnate John Irvine, for whom it was named in 1849. A New England-style public square was planned in the middle of the neighborhood and named Irvine Park. In 1881, the Pendergast family paid to have a beautiful three-tiered fountain added to the park. Many mansions were built here, but eventually most became boarding houses that deteriorated over time. By the 1970s, around 90% of the homes were unlivable, and the city was going to tear down most of the homes and build high-rise apartments. Thankfully, that didn't happen.
1: That fountain that that family had put in there would eventually get dismantled and taken out, but it was replaced once we get back into refurbishing this park, and they built another one that is very similar to it. So the fountain that is there today is not the original. One of the beautiful homes that is still here is the Dr. Justice O'Hage House that was built in 1889. It is Victorian in style and has three stories. The doctor designed it for his wife, Augusta, with a tower and yellow bricks to resemble the home she grew up in as a child. Unfortunately, she died right before moving into the house. So I thought that was so sad because here he built this house specifically for her. He was left to raise their five kids alone. His claim to fame was performing America's first successful gallbladder surgery. And fun fact, the blue John McDonald house next to the doctor's house has an interesting claim to fame. This is one of those huge houses, Kelly, that they managed to move from one location to another using a flatbed semi. That always blows my mind. And you and I, we were in that one house when we were in Longwood and it was it was a smaller one. Granted, it was a cute little store that, you know, had a lot of kitsch things in it and stuff like that.
0: Right. It was quite small. But on the wall, and I think I
1: posted it on Instagram you can see this flatbed trailer going down the middle of the street and it's got this full house sitting on the back of it. It's crazy looking. How in the world do you move a house like that? And they used to move these huge homes like that all the time. We'd never see that today. It doesn't seem like usually it's just mobile home you see moving down the street.
0: Right. Yeah. You don't
1: see that unless it's something historic. So this took place in 1978 when they were moving it and it had to be left overnight on the street and it got a ticket for being (laughs) illegally parked. (laughs) This is the only St. Paul home to receive a parking ticket. That's hilarious. (laughs) I thought so, too. And we imagine it might be the only house to receive such a dubious distinction still today. I'm sure. I can't imagine too many other ones have had that.
0: Four Paw had his three-story mansion designed so that every window looked out over the manicured grounds and gardens. There are several covered porches. The interior of the house has hand-carved wood, chandeliers, fireplaces, a ballroom on the top floor, and the finest furniture. The fourpaws hired multiple servants to help run their home, and this included a young Irish maid named Molly. Forpa took a liking to Molly. Before long, the two were wandering off to locked rooms and carrying on a torrid affair. Mary Forpa eventually walked in on the two while they were in bed together. She understandably was angry, and she demanded that Joseph take the family away to Europe, which he did in a bid to save his marriage. Now
1: I don't know about the timing on all this, but eventually it came out that Molly was pregnant. I don't know if this happened before the family decided to go over to Europe or if news came out afterward, but now she's all alone and she's going to have to care for this baby. She fell into a deep depression and one day she climbed up to the third floor of the mansion and she hanged herself outside a window. The four paws returned to St. Paul, but Mary would not move back to their former mansion. And so they built a new mansion that overlooked the other one.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's still right there, so I don't really... understand what the difference is but okay
1: this was on summit avenue and was completed in 1891 and you guys might remember that summit avenue that's where the griggs mansion that we did on a previous episode not too long ago was located so they moved up to where the other rich people were hanging out i guess forepaw spent a lot of time looking out at the old property and even walked the grounds of his former home in a real state of melancholy in early july of 1892 Joseph boarded a streetcar and headed to the woods near Selby and Hamlin. There he committed suicide using a gun. He was reported missing and took a few days before one of Fourpaw's grandchildren that had seen him get on the streetcar was able to guide the police to the area where they found his body. No suicide note was left, so people have had to speculate as to why he decided to end it all. One reason was thought to pertain to his finances. He was suffering some difficulty with money and he worried about becoming poor. The other reason is that he either felt guilty over Molly committing suicide or he was sad about her death and the death of their unborn child 30 years earlier. I don't know what contributed to what. And I've also heard a story that he killed himself on the former property where Four paws is. But I don't know. I don't know where this other story would have come from than that he got on a streetcar and went somewhere. So,
0: The Four paws had sold their Irvine Park home to a well-known Civil War general named John Henry Hammond. As we said, many mansions in this neighborhood became boarding houses. And that happened to this mansion in the mid-1900s. A World War I and World War II veteran named George became the caretaker of the boarding house. One day, he was attacked and hurt very badly. He had to leave his job, which was hard because he was very attached to the former four-paw house. Eventually, the house deteriorated and would have been torn down had a private company not bought it in 2007. This company refurbished the house and opened it as a French restaurant. It changed hands and became the Four Paws restaurant until closing last year. There were 11 dining rooms. One of the neatest rooms was the wine cellar, which had glass doors that opened into a dining room, and it had a copper ceiling and limestone walls. Many original items were still part of the restaurant, including the front doors. The elaborate staircase just in from the front door, and there were old photos of the house hanging on the wall. The bar was amazing, and a rooftop terrace gave a view of the park. The Fitzgerald room was a private dining room with a skylight and shrouded in curtains. So it seems like
1: this was a really nice place to eat. If any of our listeners had ever gotten a chance to eat there, we'd love to know your experiences about it and what you thought about it. And keep us posted if it reopens again, because I can't imagine this thing looks gorgeous inside that they would just leave it to be abandoned or nothing going on inside of it. I certainly hope they
0: reopen it. Many people
1: have claimed to have experienced unexplained things inside the home throughout the years. There are claims that three ghosts call this place home. Of course, there's Molly, the maid who killed herself here. Then there's Joseph Forpaw. And strangely, George is said to haunt the place, too, even though he didn't die inside the house because the attack didn't kill him, as far as I know. Or maybe he died later, but it wasn't here.
0: Right. But he was very fond of the building. Exactly. There's been
1: so much activity that Four Paws Restaurant has been given the title as the most haunted restaurant in Minnesota. There's a fireplace inside the restaurant that many believe is a portal where ghosts enter and exit the home, so possibly there might be more than just these three.
0: Joseph has apparently come back to his former home, even though he did not die there. Perhaps because he carried on his affair with Molly here. Joseph's full-bodied apparition has been seen, and he is usually wearing pinstripe trousers, a black waistcoat, silk vest, and derby hat. His spirit roams the entire mansion with his most favorite spots being the main staircase and the basement. The basement often features cold spots, rustling noises, and the lights flicker.
1: This one I think is kind of strange because how often would the man of the house gone down to the basement unless it was to check out the wine cellar maybe?
0: Maybe he had a man cave
1: yeah (laughs) maybe i don't know it just always seems like the basement would be a place that the servants would go to because you got the boiler and everything down there and storage
0: right right you
1: wouldn't think the man of the house would go down there often but again like i said there was a wine cellar there so
0: over time employees figured out that it was best if the lights were kept on in the basement this seemed to keep joseph happy when he is angry he makes a mess he is blamed for moving tables and chairs around the dining rooms too joseph's spirit has appeared in pictures He's usually seen standing next to the prettiest woman in the room. Look out, Kelly. Stop it. (laughs) Another photo featured Joseph's hand reaching out to touch a bride's knee. Scandalous. I know. What are you doing (laughs) on her wedding day? Right. We'd post the photo, but it disappeared. And many think Joseph himself took it after it was put on display.
1: Now we can believe that story or go, "Uh uh-huh. Sure. And I only say that because I am very...
0: We're open-minded skeptics, but certain
1: times we're more skeptical. Yeah, pictures (laughs) make me very skeptical. Employees claim that Molly's room, the third floor dining room where she hanged herself, is the center of much of the unexplained activity. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily where she had actually lived, or if they just call it that because that's where she hanged herself. But servants did live in the home, usually on the top floor. So it's a possibility that it was her actual room at one time. Molly likes to manifest poltergeist activity. There are disembodied footsteps heard in here. The lights turn themselves back on after being turned off. And people have experienced feeling tingles as though something electric is touching them. You are
0: familiar with that, as uh, am I?
1: Yeah, I was just like, <laughs> I know that description perfectly. And that's exactly how I would describe it. Figures have been seen in a mirror in the room as well. I always hate that, seeing things in the mirror.
0: Now you turn around, it's gone. I know, and
1: you got to wonder, is it behind me or is it trapped in the mirror? One of the creepiest stories is told about the police and their dogs. The alarm system had gone off and there was a lot of activity recorded. Enough that it was certain that someone had broken inside. The police were called out and they showed up with their dogs and walked the entire house. When they got to Molly's room, the dogs started whimpering and refused to go inside that room. They kept trying to bolt away. And you're
0: thinking these are guard dogs and they're afraid of something. Right. Police dogs, they don't normally react that way.
1: <laughs> and what this reminds me of is the Croak Patterson mansion in Denver. I'm sure I've told that story before where they had guard dogs inside of it and something spooked them so much they jumped out of a top out the window, window yeah. and killed them. The police found no one in the room and no one in the entire house. Molly's ghost likes to appear to brides, too. But I don't think she puts her hand on their knees.
0: she's not the flirty one no
1: she's appeared in a photo with dark hair and smiling with adoring eyes at someone not in the picture employees also said they saw molly during a costume party at first they thought she was a party goer who was wearing an authentic period dress that was until she walked down a hall and then just disappeared she apparently has a knack for going
0: through walls lots of people say that they've seen her do that We've heard this story from other locations like the Winchester Mansion, where an employee is closing up for the night and they flick off all the lights, lock up, and head to their car. Upon looking back at the house, they notice that the lights are back on. That happened to an employee one night and the light that was on was coming from Molly's room. He went back inside to check the room and turned the light back off. He locked up again and headed back to his car, only to notice that the light was back on and it seemed brighter. Now he knew that it was not just something he had overlooked. He went back inside and found a lit candle on one of the tables. He yelled aloud, Molly, I am tired and I want to go home. No more games. He blew out the candle and locked up again. And this time, the room stayed dark. Apparently, Molly will listen when you ask her to stop her prankster activity. A customer was using the restrooms and when he came out, he said that he heard a woman singing in the upper levels of the mansion. No one was on the upper level. The other spirit
1: in the house is said to be George, who was attacked here. The assistant general manager was named Ben Bush, and he claimed to have had many weird experiences, especially when it came to George. George had been a caretaker, and now that Ben was a caretaker of sorts, George liked to put him to the test. The two eventually became friends, and Ben even claimed that they would watch sports on the television together in the office. Now, when it says that he put him to the test, he didn't share any of the particulars about that, so I don't know what he did that made him feel like he was being put to the test but i imagine it was a lot of prankster type stuff glasses get thrown when employees are setting up for receptions and no one is sure which spirit might be doing this maybe it's george maybe it's
0: joseph or it could be molly who knows or maybe maybe molly the way that molly's story was discovered seems to have been through a psychic reading many people feel that molly just wanted her story told and that the activity from her tapered off after the reading Paranormal investigators were allowed to investigate the restaurant when it was open, and they documented the lights turning off and on, not only by themselves, but also on command. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: I would love to see video of that, because it's almost like they were using it like a flashlight.
0: Definitely. Shadowy figures were picked up on equipment, too. The existence of all three spirits has also been recorded. But investigators think that they have picked up other spirits, too, which is why some believe the fireplace is a portal. There could be as many as seven spirits here. One time, a guest was taking a tour, and under their breath, they said, Too bad the place is haunted. Right after that, glasses at a nearby waiter station started shaking. Hannah
1: Logan visited Four Paws in October of 2018, and she writes of her visit, So, did I have any spooky experiences at Four Paws restaurant myself? Nothing that stood out, though I will say that I did have an odd feeling while standing where Molly is said to have hung herself. But was that a feeling of sadness that this poor young woman was abandoned and alone to the point where she felt she had to commit suicide or supernatural touch? Then later as we were eating, I felt chills up my spine when Ben was sharing his experiences and told us that he could feel George touching him right there in front of us. I was like, did you put your hand in it see if it was cold? Right. But again, were those goosebumps because he was a good storyteller or something else? Open minded skeptic. Yeah. And I mean, she said she felt weird. And we all have gotten those weird feelings when we've been in haunted locations, and it's just one of those personal things that you can't use to prove anything, but it definitely makes you feel something
0: personal. Sure. Michael Norman is the author of The Nearly Departed Minnesota Ghost Stories and Legends, and he was interviewed by nprnews.org. The article said, Last time I went in, there was a photograph kept behind the bar. They call it The Ghost Bride. The photograph features a couple posing at their wedding reception, which was held at the restaurant in the 1990s. It's a lovely memory, until you see the disembodied arm floating on the staircase. Norman tracked down the couple in the photograph. Both of them said that there was no one standing back there when the picture was taken. He keeps a copy of the photograph with his research. He won't say whether it has swayed his belief in the supernatural. I don't take the position as a believer, he said. I've never seen a ghost, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. We're in the same boat. We've never seen a ghost either, but I
1: definitely think there's something going on there. I agree. Four Paws restaurant was housed in a beautiful Victorian mansion and we hope that this location is once again put to good use. Not only so that people can enjoy the beauty of its interior, but so that the spirits will not be lonely. Is this former Four Paws restaurant haunted? That is for you to decide. And as I was doing the research for this, I wanted to look a little bit more into Irvine Park and I saw that there's this Irvine Park walking tour and it's on bigboytravel.com and if you look up, I believe, probably Irvine Park walking tour, you'll find it. I do have the link in our show notes as well. And it looked like it'd be a fun little tour to do around that whole Irvine Park to see all of the old homes that managed to still be there. Thank goodness, not torn down.
0: Nice. And every time we're saying Irvine Park, I always think of the big county park or city park. I don't remember its designation in California because we have an Irvine Park there. Oh, <laughs> that that's I, true. I've been to many, many times. Yeah.
1: We encourage you guys to check out our website at historygoesbump.com And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Or, of course, if you send us comments anywhere, we usually see those and uh, we'll share those as well. Scott Booker sent us an email about something interesting that he found out that I thought other people would find interesting, especially kids, because they are very familiar with pencils. A lot of us don't use our number two pencils as much anymore. This is true. And the ones that I have now are Nightmare Before Christmas, so they're black and purple. (laughs) They are. Before mechanical pencils and stylus pens, people around the world used standard yellow pencils. We all remember that fondly. Interestingly, the bright color was no accident. Back in the 1890s, pencils were mass produced and the best graphite came from China. Pencil companies wanted their customers to know that they were using only the best Chinese graphite. So they colored their pencils yellow, which is the color for royalty in China. Oh, interesting! Yeah, I had no idea. I, I, never even wondered. I wonder why a pencil is yellow. Yeah, it's on purpose. Thanks for sharing that, Scott. D sent us an email. It says it's two a.m. and I am at work in an office by myself with the only light—the light directly over my desk. My back to the office, and I'm listening to your episode on screaming skulls. And my coworkers wonder why I jump and scream when they come into the office to ask me a question. <laughs> I've been listening to your podcast from the beginning and find it really interesting with a slightly darker side of history. I recently found through Aimless Wandering around on YouTube, a channel that I thought you might be interested in. And I bet a lot of our listeners are already checking this out. I've watched a few of the videos. If you haven't, she's suggesting of Ask a Mortician. It's hosted by a young woman who's a mortician and she covers things like questions from her audience. One I recently saw was if it's okay and legal to have and keep a relative skull. So now I'm going to need to watch that because that would be interesting to know. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of keeping a screaming skull in your home, (laughs) can you do it legally here in America? She also talks about funeral customs and practices, types of funerals, historical events that have a dark turn to them and lots of other great stuff. So she said, I thought you would just be interested to find out. And it's all done with a little bit of humor. And so then I let her know, and I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, that The Order of the Good Death, which Caitlin had started, actually hosted a podcast called Death in the Afternoon. And I think they did two seasons of it and then they stopped. So I was like, I remember." You guys could check that one out as well. I want to thank Jen for her email. It was very nice and very much appreciated. Jessica Garcia and Arena, who we toured around Iowa with. And, and investigated Malvern Manor with. Yes. Let me know that they have an upcoming investigation. It's not an official one. They're going to be attending a wedding and Irina is actually going to be officiating it at the historic Wolf Hotel, which apparently has some hauntings going on. There's a great history there. And she gathered a bunch of equipment, was asking me for some advice and stuff like that. And I said, well, hey, if you want to do a live in the Spooktacular Crew." That would be perfect. Feel free to do that. So, they're going to be there at the Historic Wolf Hotel, which is in Ellenwood, Kansas, on the 8th. So, I don't know if that's the night that she's going to be doing the investigation or if they'll be doing it some other time. The wedding's on that Saturday. So, sometime this week, be watching the Spectacular Crew to see if we have a Facebook Live up there. And of course, it all depends upon if you can get a signal.
0: Right. There's that's like, always a challenge. Yeah. There's underground <laughs>
1: tunnels there. And we know we've had a hard time sometimes when we're, we're inside somewhere of keeping the signal going. That's why I love the squirrel cage gel. We managed to hold on to that I thing know. for the whole
0: time. I was like, wow, I can't believe it. Well, fingers crossed for them that they keep reception. And then for
1: those of you wondering about more doing a little shout out for Jess, I wanted to share what his mom, Sarah, shared in the Spooktacular Crew. She said, I turned on the radio as I was driving my littles to my parents, and my five year old said, Oh, it's our spooky stories. Because I'd been listening to an HGB episode as I'd pack things for the day. He told me, I like the show, but sometimes there are big words it's hard for my mouth to say. (laughs) Boy, don't we identify, (laughs) Kelly, as everybody knows from listening to our bloopers? We have a hard time saying (laughs) them too.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. He
1: he asked if I have words that are hard to say, and I told him cinnamon. He said, oh, cinnamon starts with S. It says like a snake. When I told him it's actually a tricky C... And has two sounds. He said, what? That's crazy. (laughs) Then he goes, when's Gravedigger? So cute. She said, wait until we get to I before E except after C. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) And uh, so since he apparently seems to have some kind of a liking for Mort, our Gravedigger, Mort decided that he'd give him a little shout out. That was so sweet, too. And I have to say, I can't remember. Did we have a four-year-old listener? I think five might be our youngest. I think so. I know we definitely were all the way down to six. So this might be one of our youngest listeners. I think you're right on that. Just a little child after my own heart. (laughs) Definitely. If you haven't listened to our anniversary show, I encourage you to do that because we had some fabulous stories on that. It's different than just listening to one of our regular shows, but the stories are always so great. And you know, what's really cool for us, Kelly, is this is just some little fun contest that I came up with. Silly little contest, some people might say. And it really touches me when I hear back from some of our previous winners and stuff that how much it's encouraged them in their writing and inspired them. Yeah. Uh, Laura Jovag, I remember that she was so inspired after writing the flash fiction and getting a feel for doing that, that she sent a story off to a magazine and it actually got published.
0: I know. That's so cool. And then I heard from Holly,
1: who wrote her own book after being inspired from winning one of the flash fictions. So awesome. So I just think that's so great. And thanks for letting me know, guys, that kind of thing, because it it really means a lot to us to know that it's not just some little silly thing that we're doing to... It warms the cockles of our
0: black little heart.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you put it wonderfully there, Kelly. I couldn't have put it better. I appreciate you guys making the effort to write. And I like that it actually is giving back to you as well. Yeah, we love it. Well, we want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers.
0: Dispatches from the Grave Digger.
1: We want to thank Catherine Moulton for your one-time donation. That is greatly appreciated. We also want to thank Maria Mancini-Bruillard and God, I know I butchered that last name for raising your donation. We're going to be moving you into a garden tomb and welcome into the cemetery Angelica and Jeremy Lopez. We're going to be cramming both of you into a garden tomb together (laughs) for all eternity. So we hope you guys really do like each other. I was just going to say,
0: hopefully they really do like each other. (laughs) Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. We so appreciate you guys. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. The moment in oddity was hmm? i was gonna say brought to you by <laughs> the moment in oddity is brought to you by here your sponsor <laughs> weird and weird weirder king henry the eighth was pretty the eighth it's, it's eighth. already starting oh god and now i'm gonna start singing that song <laughs> henry the eighth i am i am henry
1: the eighth i am i am I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times times before before and everyone was an Ennery. I don't remember Come on, Kelly, you're supposed to say Ennery. Oh, (laughs) Ennery.
0: I know it, but not well enough to sing it. Gotcha. And was created by Conrad. Uh Susenhofer. Susenhofer. Okay. Sounds like you're clearing your throat. Susenhofer. (laughs) Toa. and was created by Conrad Susenhofer. Joseph Librant (laughs) Forbrot.
1: See, if you got the B's and the P's, you just can't do it. Later, he would open up other businesses and invested in real estate. Real estate?
0: It's a real estate. It's a real estate that he lives in. Real estate. Come buy some real (laughs) estate. It ain't fake state. And that happened to this mansion.
1: Mm-hmm. There are disembodied footsteps hood in here. Hood in here? Hood hood. I hood something. Did you hood something? <laughs> I hood <heard> something too. <laughs> the assistant general man. <laughs> uh-huh. That's what happens when you get a popcorn kernel coming back up. Oh jeez. But you know, we <laughs> had some of that kettle corn before we started doing this, and oh, oh my god. I just god, love that it. kettle corns.
0: I mean that that maker had the perfect percentages of the ingredients and it was such a perfect place that
1: we went to it's this little antique place well actually it was just one antique shop and then a couple of other shops that have little kitschy kitchen type things and yeah fun stuff like that but he he was outside one of them and i was like
0: kettle corn i never get real kettle corn so i knew i had to buy some for my girl (laughs) and then
1: we also got a really cool jar that we put up on uh, instagram the sodium bicarbonate one yes that is such a cool jar I was like, I have a to bottle. have this. It looks like it belongs in a mad scientist lab. It does. And I'm trying to build my own little apothecary of cool old bottles. So
0: You're already mad, so. <laughs> 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 We're all mad here.
1: The assistant general manager was named Ben Bush, and he claimed to have had many weird experiences. <laughs> weird, weird. It's really yeah, weird. weird. I don't know where I'm getting these weird accents <laughs> coming out when I'm saying these words. I come from Colorado. There is no such thing as an accent there. <laughs> the assistant general manager was named Ben Bush and he claimed to have had the assistant general manager was named Ben Bush and he claimed to have mit, what
0: ha, to have. You're I think I'm hat. missing that. You're word. missing the hat and that's why it's throwing you off. Who the frick wrote this script anyway? <laughs> Glasses at a nearby waiter state. Nee Right after that
1: I what? love it when you do that it's like are you like <laughs> yelling frustrated. at the
0: microphone yourself?
1: <laughs> I'm yelling
0: at <it> myself. <laughs>